0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Oh, man. So it's a new year. A new week, and it's been a good year for me so far. Um, Didn't start off wonderful, like you. Um, New Year's Eve, I I stood up a a little bit late, later than I should have, and it was really a complete failure for me. Um, I stood up late New Year's Eve, but didn't actually make it to midnight, and so it was—it was just there was no point to it at all. And so I stood up just late enough to make myself wake up late the next day which for a guy like me, you know, who watches Premier League Saturday morning, I completely missed the match that I wanted to watch. But the good news, the good news was that my team, Manchester City, won. That's the good news, right? Is that good news to anybody else here? How about to the fans of Liverpool who they beat? No, of course not. Of course it's not good news, you know? And I don't blame you if you're like, who cares? Who watches English football? Come on, this is not a good reference. Nobody cares about this. And my point is this this morning. For you to understand a victory and for a victory to be good news, to have something be good news, you actually have to be aware of what that news is, right? And you have to know what the score is and you have to know what side you're actually rooting for. Other words, if somebody just tells you, Well, this team beat the other. Well, that's not even good news. We don't watch that sport. It's not even in this country. Nobody knows what you're talking about. So it's not good news. It's news we don't even care about. And so this morning, we are going to be studying um, John 3.16, the most popular verse in history, right? I used to say arguably, because I think you're supposed to say that, because you can't definitively know. what what? What don't we know? Like John 3.16 is everywhere. It comes up in the most obscure places. Um, if you're a Broncos fan, right, David, like, you know, they used to have it behind the goalposts for, for, no, for no reason. It was just John 3.16 behind the goalpost, really big. Um, and so it's everywhere. John 3.16, often called the gospel in a nutshell. It's the gospel. Gospel meaning good news. But my question this morning is is John 3.16 actually good news? Is this good news here? Is it good news to Bakersfield? John 3:16. Does anybody in Bakersfield know what's happening in, in this verse? Is it good news to them? Do they know what side they're on? And so I truly believe, while many people know John 3:16, that very few people actually understand it. They can recite it. It's on a keychain, it's on a T-shirt, it's on a bumper sticker but I don't think many people know what it means. And this is problematic for many reasons, including um, I know many people who I would consider colleagues who, who don't know what this verse means, and they teach from it, and they argue from it, and they've built an entire theology off of this verse. And this verse being like the foundation of their theology. There's entire movements of the church that are built on this verse, and all other verses in the Bible submit to this verse which is never a good idea. Like there's not a verse in the Bible that all other verses should submit to. I hope as we've studied the Bible together, we've realized that verses are interpreted through verses, right? There's always a context to what's happening. I think what's most heartbreaking about this, this phenomenon of people knowing John 3.16 is there's people who would put their faith in it. They would take this verse and say, I am a believer because I believe in this verse, and think they're on one side, that they're really not. And it's not just me who thinks this. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, even Jesus several times talks about this. Like, you may say you believe in me, but you also may not. You may not believe in me. You know, time will tell, so you should check yourself. Make sure you believe what you say you believe. And look, Nicodemus thought he understood, right? Like we talked about last week, Nicodemus, for sure, he's on the winning side. There, there's no doubts about it. And yet John chapter 3 is Jesus telling Nicodemus, no, you're actually not on the right side. And he's sharing, Jesus is sharing the gospel with Nicodemus. But the gospel, if it's not good news to you, has to be bad news first. And for, for Nicodemus, he has to understand he was wrong. Like this is bad news before it's good news. Also last week, we talked about the fact that Bakersfield is 15% evangelical, according to polls, 15% evangelical. But in light of the fact that a lot of evangelicals don't know what they believe, like don't know if they're actually saved, I think that number is actually a lot lower than we think it is, which makes all this so, so serious. And so what's at stake in understanding this text, understanding the gospel is absolutely everything, right? Our souls, our own personal souls, souls of our families and our friends, co-workers, and all of Bakersfield. Because Bakersfield is our context and our ministry. Now, speaking of context, um, the context of John 3.16 is where we we learn what John 3.16 is about. Because look, if you just take John 3.16, you helicopter into it, You pull that verse out of its context. It sounds awesome. What an incredible verse. Hey, guess what? God came. He's saving everybody. Just say you believe. Everybody on board, right? Like a universalist belief. Just have a belief. This is the best news ever. Just jump on board with this and and you are in. But is that what the the verse says? Is that what John 3.16 actually says? And so context is going to be so key. You're going to hear me say context and text all day today because the context is not a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, right? The context is John 3.14 through 21, and that is the bumper sticker I want, John 3.14 through 21, and nobody make that for me, so yeah, I'm like, I, feel like, I feel like I'm just going to get a bunch of those, but that's what it should say, John 3.14 through 21, and so today our sermon is God Save Bakersfield, part two, John 3.16. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, our heart breaks for Bakersfield, for those who aren't here this morning, who don't know the gospel, um, who think that us showing up here is nonsense, that, that it's not good news, it's just, it's not relevant news, you know, it, it's bad news, it's a waste of time. And so I just asked um, that you would be honored, glorified, praised by our worship today, that you would give us a fresh view of the gospel, which um, isn't all good news, Lord, and may we understand that in order to present it, Lord, to our families, to our neighbors, to our community? Would you empower us, Lord, even if we don't have the gift of evangelism, Lord, that we would still be confident in your gospel and be able to ask people if they are born again, Lord. And so I just ask that you bless our time, Lord, and may your Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than me this morning, Lord. Amen. So let's start by looking at the first part of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that. Just the first part. And we'll go through the whole verse. We're going to go through John 3.16. We'll go part by part, and we'll get to the rest of this text as we go through it. So this is a great example of how emphasizing one part of a sentence can completely change its meaning. Because here, how this, this is how this verse is normally read. For God so loved the world that, right? And the, and the emphasis being on that God loves the world like so much, he had, had to do this action. And yet in the Greek, that, that's not what it says, right? The emphasis is not on so. The emphasis is on God. It's like God has to be the point of this. And the other emphasis would be that, And so what what John is saying here is it's not qualitative, it's quantitative. It's not that God loved the world so much, it's that God loved the world so. This is an expression, God loved the world so he did this. And so the object of love isn't that the world is lovable. And so um, in verse 14, again, looking at the context, in verse 14 it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so this is a reference to God's dealing with Israel, right? This is the immediate context. This is what Jesus is saying, and John is saying, this is what this is like. And this reference is not to a point in Israel's history where Israel was so lovable that God sent pet snakes to them that that would give them kisses, right? That's not what happened, right? A reference to Numbers 21 here. It's, It's not that they were lovable, it's that they were horrible, like they were being obnoxious. Like they saw the sea parted, right? I mean, they saw everything go down, the Passover. They saw it all go down and just did not care and were mumbling. And so God gives this form of, of the judgment of snakes. And so, but also at that same moment in that judgment, God also sends them grace, right? So you have this, this judgment, absolute judgment of sin, which is what we want. And at the same time, God expressing his love and grace in judgment that if somebody believes in the instrument of salvation, that they will be healed. And so the beauty isn't in the receiver. Numbers 21 isn't about how beautiful Israel is. It's about how beautiful God is. It's about how good God is. Like even in the fact that God, by his goodness, is dealing with evil, you know, in God's heart looking at us and knowing it's us who are evil, saying, come on, guys, even in this judgment, you still have a chance in this judgment to believe and have faith in this object of salvation. The beauty and lovability belong to God, not the world. We are an undeserving benefactor of the goodness and love of God. A few months ago, we were in John chapter 1, in verses 4 and 5, we saw, it said, "...in Him was life, and the life was the light of men." The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is the light and the life. Why would Jesus, why would the light and the life be sent to us if we are so awesome, right? And so the reason is, as we learned in John chapter 1, it's because of darkness. God looked down on us, and he didn't say, like, like that's my valentine, that's my love. He said darkness. There's darkness and death. People are being deceived. My own people aren't representing me well. And so he sends in Jesus, who is the light and the life, because that is what we need, because it's God who is so awesome. So let's continue to read John 3.16 a little further, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. The ultimate expression of God's love, sending us Jesus. Like Jesus is the best. Like there's not anything in heaven that could have been given to us that was more awesome, perfect, holy. This expression of God. That, that that's the best that God could have given to us. And he gave it to us face to face. Intimate communication. After the prophets, after talking through burning bushes, you know, and the clouds and visions, like comes down face to face. Come on, guys face-to-face, let, like, let's work this out now. But why was Jesus sent? For what purpose? And so again, in the context, in the context of the second half of verse 17, it says, in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus is the Lamb of, the, a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist said in chapter 1, verse 29. And we get that. And we embrace that. That's the awesome part. Who doesn't like being saved? Being saved is awesome. Like, yes, love being saved. It's great. But what we miss, what we miss out of the context of verses 14 and 17, which is the context of verse 16, we miss that the coming of Jesus is a judgment, right? Because again, the reference is in verse 14. So this is a judgment. Jesus is coming. And so again in 14, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must God, the Son of Man, be lifted up. Immediate and comparative context of events to Numbers 21. Simultaneous healing and salvation and judgment. The beauty and character of God, His goodness in judging evil, which is what we all want. We all want evil to be judged. We really do. The bad part is we are the ones doing evil. And so again, we see here in this judgment of Jesus coming, Jesus is also coming to save us, to be that object that we look up to, like that snake on a pole that Israel had to look up to. Consider it like this, uh, the historical narrative of Genesis 6. So Genesis 6, God destroys the world of the flood absolutely annihilates it, right? Judgment, judgment on evil. Things are bad. Read Genesis 6. Crazy bad. And so God's, I'm, I'm going to absolutely destroy the earth, judge the earth, but at the same time, he sends the ark, right? The ark is built. And so if you think about it, I, I can't imagine a worse time other than the, the day of the cross, the moment you know, of the cross, of the crucifixion, a worse day in human history than the start of the flood, I mean, that's it. I mean, we, could, we still see the evidence of that event in our geology. We, we could still see it. It was so bad, which means that up until the cross, the best news ever was the ark. That was awesome news. The ark was good news. The world's getting destroyed, and there's a way to not get destroyed. And so the ark was good news, if you were on it right just as the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ it's good news if you are in Christ if you are not in Christ catastrophic horrible you know situation you're going to be in reality that you're going to have to deal with that is much worse than a flood and so where do I come up with this idea of judgment why am i raining on John 316 it's a very happy positive verse where do i get judgment from Again, context, verse 19, and this is the judgment, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and we know the light is Jesus, right? We know the light is Jesus, Jesus has come into the world, it is a judgment. That's the part you don't see on the bumper sticker, or in a whole lot of theology built around this verse, that it's a judgment why would we wear that on a shirt, right? The gospel and the good news is only if you are in Christ. That is the good news. And so let us continue reading John three 16. We'll read through it now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, like that's, that's the ticket, man. That's the qualifier. Belief in Jesus—it seems simple enough. It seems so simple. That's why I talk to a lot of people who will say, "Oh, I'll, I'll accept Jesus on my deathbed. Like I know how to—I know the loophole. You know, I just have to be one second ahead of death, and I'm good. Just—I believe." No, but that's just so not true, you know. And Jesus points it out over and over. There's people who act like they have faith for a season. They wear um, Jesus is my homeboy shirt, right? And they're all in for a little bit, you know, until you you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a professor who slightly challenges you and just all of that faith comes crashing down. And so your faith is choked out and the world destroys it, which we know means that you never had faith to begin with. And so at one point there was somebody who thought they had faith who realizes later on didn't have faith. They didn't lose their faith. The Bible says they never had saving faith. And we will see this throughout the Gospel of John. This is one of the reasons I love the Gospel of John. It is encouraging. You should be psyched out of your mind as we go through the Gospel of John, because he encourages us and tells us, if we were in Christ, if you are in Jesus, no one can remove you. If you belong to Jesus, that's it. We'll see verse after verse, entire texts, all about the fact that, that you are not car keys in the hands of a clumsy Savior. You do not have to worry, oh man, I don't know, I don't know if, if Jesus is going to remember me or if I'm strong enough. You are a precious sheep that Jesus knows by name, knows by name. And so when Jesus came, when the light came into the world, he came with names, And we have to understand that. We have to believe that. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross with names, not to create a cosmic loophole that you can just sort of confess your way into or believe your way into. Now, real quickly, I do want to look at at John chapter 10, verses 14 uh, 14 through 16, and we'll probably have a whole sermon on this in a couple weeks. But here's where I get that from, because who cares what I think, right? Right? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so that's Jesus talking. Well, it just brings up questions, right? Like who are the sheep? Uh, what, are you, what exactly are you supposed to believe? And first off, again, in context, reading scripture in context, the belief has to be correlated to Numbers 21. And so the thing you need to have belief in is Jesus as the instrument of salvation. Jesus as the instrument of salvation. So whether he's your homeboy or not, whatever, but is he the instrument of your salvation? That's what we need to know. The Son of Man was lifted up on a cross to bear your iniquity to die for your sins, to save you because he is the hero. He is the shepherd doing everything to protect his sheep. He knows who you are. He lays down his life, right? We already saw that. He lays down his life to protect you. That is the qualifier. Do you believe Jesus is the instrument of salvation? Do you believe that is the only way? There there isn't another answer. It's do you believe in that, yes or no, true or false? Or do you believe that you're a good person? Right? We've all talked to a lot of good people who don't want to come to church. They're too good to come here. But the truth is hell, hell will be full of good people. Hell will be full of great people. I'm certain hell will be full of people greater than me, probably greater than all of us. And yet, that's not even a qualifier. Like, that's not the credential we need. How good or great are you? That is not at all. It has nothing to do with salvation. The credential we need is faith in the sacrificial lamb. Do you believe when he went to the cross that he took your name with you? Do you believe that? It's not our good works that save us. It is the good shepherd is Jesus, the good shepherd. The cross is not a cosmic loophole to salvation. It is the office of the hero. The good news of the gospel is that we have a good God who looked down into our darkness, into our hate, into our death, everything that was wrong, and sent us hope and sent us life and sent judgment, even ahead of his judgment, right? God's judgment is coming, sends the light ahead of that, like it's coming sends that judgment in Christ ahead of his judgment and our final judgment, like a pre-judgment. And so if you're, you are in Christ, you know, and Jesus has paid it all, it's been paid up front, right? So judgment day is not a concern for us because it's been paid. It was paid up front. So Christ sent ahead of God's final judgment, paid for us already. And that's why Jesus is the hero, right? And not us. And that's why they don't, we don't, we're not singing songs about James in the morning, right? We're singing songs about Jesus, He's absolutely our hero. Which just leads to another question that you have to ask based on this as well. Um, How do you know you have saving faith? Right? I mean, we already said there's some people who think they have saving faith and they don't. How do we know what we profess and what we say is something that we actually truly believe? Or do we just say it? Again, context. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so in order to see the kingdom, to get it, for it to click, to see the king, to see Jesus, you have to be born again. Saving faith is the result of spiritual birth. You have to be regenerated, right? God has to actually save you, make you born again before you could see this. Which I think just leads to the obvious next question, right? Well, how do you know you're born again? Right? We got to figure this is something we got to know. You have to leave right this morning. You got to know, am I born again? That's the most important thing that that someone needs to know. And so, and you know by your response to the light. You know by your response to the light. You know by your response to Jesus. Uh, My buddy Kent Schlecht, who's also a pastor here in town, I can't remember the name of the church. Um, But also, just as a quick note, let us be praying for other churches in Bakersfield. Like, if you pass by a church, pray for it. Like, we are not against churches. We're looking at less than 15% of evangelical Christians. We are in this together. So pray for other churches. Love them. But I heard Kent use the analogy of bugs. Bugs. And so he said, you know, if you have a room and it's dark, the light's out, and you want to know what kind of bugs are in that room, what do you do? You turn on the light, right? Of course, obviously, you turn on the light, right? But you quickly find out what kind of bugs you have. If you're a cockroach, what do you do? You take off, right? If you ever had the unfortunate, you know, there's been a couple days in my life where I've turned on a light, and there's nothing worse than seeing a roach and seeing it run away, right? Because you can't even kill it. You just know it's there now forever, and you know it's a roach. You know it's a roach because when a roach sees the light, it jets, wants nothing to do with the light. You know. Then you have, you know, good old moths, right? Which for some reason my family are terrified of. Um, Moths aren't bad, you know. I, I, you know. But anyway, I digress. But. You know a moth is a moth because light comes on and it just goes right towards the light. Oh man, and there's nothing going to stop it. You know, it's very slow and awkward, and, but it is headed for that light. And so what we will see here in verses 19 through 21 is that Jesus is the same way. Jesus has the light. You know immediately who's born again. It's like who takes off and who goes towards the light. Let's see this in verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So your response to the light tells you, if you're born again. Right? It tells you, you know. In verse 5, again, in the context of chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So being a born again, as we talked about last week, has two huge parts. One is the spiritual part, right? The spiritual part. If you don't have that being born again spiritually, man, this is nonsense. They don't, the person who's not born again doesn't see the kingdom. Like, we see the kingdom. We see the kingdom in our reality and everything we do. If you're not born again, this means nothing. It's just nonsense. And then the water, the physical part, right, of our new belief. If you have saving faith, as we looked at last week, you have a new heart and a new mind, which means whatever you do, your hands are going to follow, right? You might have a strong mind and a strong heart, if you have both of them on the same page, your hands are going to follow. Your hands can't be independent of those two things. And so if you are born again, you can see the kingdom. You have that new heart and that new head. I pointed at the opposite. Um, your hands will follow. You will actually show. Your life will show. You will go towards the light. Like when you, when you see the light, it clicks. That is the light. That is the answer. There's no doubt about it. Now, yeah, I may have to figure this out. I may have to figure out how all of it works, but I know, I know this is absolutely true. And so, what John spends most of the time of here is actually looking at the rejectors of the light. Um, very disproportionate. Talks much more about the rejectors of the light. The reality being, uh, the road you know to heaven is, is narrow, right? It's a narrow gate. So most people are going to reject the gospel. That's just the reality. So John is just saying, like in this very happy John 3.16 verse, like, yeah, God came. And then people, well, let's look at at, at their reaction. You know, again, the part that's not on the bumper sticker. It's not on the t-shirts. People don't want John 3.16. People want a shirt with John 3.16 crossed out, right? The light comes and they're just like, no, no thanks. Don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want what I'm doing exposed. Please get that light away from me. I I, I reject the light. I don't believe in the light. Um, I don't respect the light. In fact, my whole identity now is going to be that I don't believe in the light, right? For no reason. But my whole life now is going to be about I reject the light. That's going to be what I'm known for. Why would anybody want Jesus anyway, right? They already have what they have as miserable as they may be. Like, why should anybody change? When the alternative, right, and you hear this often, like, why do people want to live a life of rules? People don't want to be told not to lie. People, people don't want to be told to love your neighbor. Who has time for that? You know, no, that sounds so restrictive and bad, you know, let's just, let's just reject any sort of thoughts like that that aren't solely about us. Better to be miserable and stuck in a cycle of darkness and ignorance than relinquish control of our lives. Our freedom is what makes us great, right? Especially as Americans, like our freedom is everything. You challenge our freedom, you are going to get the worst of us. That is our identity. We are free. So it is with the person in darkness who loves that darkness, that freedom more than anything. That is the most important thing to them. And so they reject the light. And then sadly, the next category is, is not so obvious, right? It, it's, um, you, they would be like your false converts, your false responders, false embracers of the light. <clears throat> there are many people who say they're Christians and believe in Jesus Christ, not knowing that they are not actually followers of Jesus. And there are many reasons for this. And, and this, I think, really should hit home in this room and make us very inwardly thinking. A big area of that has to do with cultural Christianity. And so if your parents were Christian, you know, or if you're raising your children as Christian, this is an area where a lot of times people will think, well, then I'm Christian, right? And so you have people who know the words. They know the words for the songs. They probably have, you know, better theology than me. They can articulate it so well. But, you know, so can demons, right? We talked about that. And so what does that matter? We need to be born again. And don't get me wrong, being raised in a Christian household has its advantages. Hearing the gospel day in and day out absolutely has advantages. Being Having that example of Christian parents, it's been proven over and over. There's so many advantages to that. But it's not, like I tell my kids, like your dad being a pastor is not going to save you. Like you, you have to be born again. You have to come to Jesus. Another type of false faith is those whose actions don't match their profession, right? And so if you have a new heart and a new mind, you're going to have new actions. And so if you're doing things that are sinful and dark, then you don't have a new heart and new mind, right? Because it's pretty clear here. There's only two sides. There's not really a gray area in the middle. And so, again, we, we, we know people. We all know people who, who would say they're Christians, right? Could even say the right verses. They, they, could, they could recite John three sixteen and yet they would brag about sin. I have friends like this, like brag about it, and, and worse, um, say that God approves of it. Oh my gosh, you want to see me triggered? <laughs> um, it's a, one of the reasons I try to stay off social media. Um, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. You, you can't be the disease and the cure at the same time. That's not how this works. They're fooling themselves, walking in darkness, doing evil and playing the cross like a get out of hell free card, right? It's like, "Oh, John 3:16, the cross. Doesn't matter what I do. God accepts, accepts me who's who I am. I'm forgiven." And yet that's not what it says here. And if that's where you are today, you're in between, you know, or you think you're in between you're not sure, I would say it's probably a good place to be, right? Because if, if, if you're here, well, that, that's great, right? Especially if you had a choice to be here, that's, that's a great sign. The fact that you're not running out <laughs> as we preach the word, that's a great sign. The fact that, that there's a, a contemplation, that there's a struggle within you, that, that's a great place to be. And so accepting Jesus, being born again, doesn't mean that you accept it the first time you hear it doesn't mean you get one chance, right? It's not what it says. Like one chance, you make a decision, you have a life. You're going to have many opportunities, but you don't know when the last one is going to be. That's, that's, that's the kicker, right? You can't say you're going to convert on your deathbed. You get one life, and so you, you need to know. And so if you're struggling, maybe that next time that God is speaking to you, maybe that's the time, like me, wasted years I wouldn't say wasted, but just, I was not saved, but you would have thought I was, and I could say the right things. It's time to come to the light. You know, whatever that looks like. I I don't know all of our individual stories, but man, if you are not certain you're born again, but you feel like you really want to be, then you need to go to Christ. You need to go to the freedom that Jesus offers. You know, and I, I want to be there with you. I want to walk with you through that. You could talk to me Everybody in this room, I'm sure, would love to talk to you as well and work that out with you and, and get you where you need to be. But don't be in a place where you would say that you're not sure. There's only one or the other. There's an acceptance or a rejection of the light. And so maybe so far you've thought, like, this 3, 6, John 3.16 sermon, like, this is not what I'm used to hearing. Like, judgment and rejection? Like, why? You know, that, that's not John 3.16. Um, But I hope, you know, as we've gone through this, you've seen this isn't my opinion. We've gone through the text. Like, this is what it actually says is happening here. And so through all John 3 so far, we have the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we have Jesus uh, judging Nicodemus, rejecting Nicodemus. Dude, you're awesome, right? You're the teacher. You are, but you're wrong. And so, and and by grace, you know, Jesus communicates with them truth and then you have Jesus coming into the world as light and as judgment. And what happens? He's rejected. And so this is all judgment and rejection, right? And so where is the grace? Where is the good news in all of this? And there is. There is. Let's start with the grace to be found here. Grace in that God gave Israel an instrument of salvation when he executed judgment, right? In Numbers 21. Um, Just like with the flood. Oh, man, there was an opportunity to jump on board. There There was some good news to be had if you would believe in it. You know, and even with the coming of Jesus and that judgment, there's still that chance, right, that you would be saved. God's still pleading with you to be saved. Grace in that God sent Jesus to teach the teacher of Israel how to be saved. Israel, who gets chance after chance, showing God's heart. that Not that Israel is so lovable. You know, Israel's more like us, right? Just exhausting God's patience, it would seem. And yet, sends Jesus to tell the teacher of Israel, man, like judgment, like 80-70 is like a generation away. It's all going down. Please, like, sir, this is how this is going to play out. Face-to-face, God begging Israel through their top teacher, this is how it must play out. Grace in that God saw a world full of darkness through his people Israel, through the Gentiles, through Rome. Oh my gosh, look at History Channel. Dark place Rome was. Sent that light into that darkness, and that's grace. And then grace towards those who come to the light. Grace towards those who come to the light. Here's the good news. Here's the good news part, right? We got, you know, the whole gospel, you have that judgment, you have that rejection, but man, we have some good news here. There's people, you know, like in the song we sang this morning who run out of the grave. Like they wake up, right? Like sheep who who know that Jesus is their shepherd. And so don't get me wrong, we are all sheep, we are all sheep, right, in this world. We're sheep being misled, distracted, pointed every other direction. But just like in Jesus' day, people are being saved. There's sheep who are, who are lifting their heads from their phones, right, from their sports, from whatever God you want to call it, from taking pictures of their food. And they're like, who is that? Because they recognize, like, the voice of the shepherd. They recognize and they're being saved, And it's incredible. It's happening in Bakersfield as well. People who are cockroaches, right? Who just want to run away, right? Just hide in the sickness and the dirt and hide in darkness. You know, I don't know if becoming a moth is any more beautiful, but in a sense, yes, like they become these moths who all of a sudden are drawn to this light. They can't not be drawn to it. And so it's clicking as the gospel is being spread. It's clicking. And it's people being born again. There's no other way you can explain it. People just, they hear it and it clicks. Like they were always meant, when they heard it, bam, that fire is going to ignite and no one's ever going to put it out. And so this good news we see here, of course, is good news that's accepted. That's what makes it good news. In verse 21, it says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so finally, we have the embracers of the light. People who get it by God's grace, the embracers of the light, you know, in contrast, they see the beauty and the necessity of Christ. It's a gift given to them. It's something you can only see as a gift. Like that is a gift from God that you could see and understand the light And for those who have seen, it says in verse 21, they come to it and do what is true and they do what is clearly good. Like don't miss that. Like it's clear. It is clear. Uh, I think it's twice in the original text. Like it's it's super ultra clear if you have been born again because you are doing things that the people in darkness are not doing. You're headed an entirely different direction. You're talking an entirely different way. Something's up with you. The world's going to notice something Man, what's going on with these people? They they act differently, think differently, talk differently, and it's obvious if someone's been born again because they come to the light and their life reflects that light. And so, again, for us here this morning, I, I think it, it's it's sobering for those of us who would profess faith. I think that we should look inward. You know, look at our own pudding. Right, the proof is in the pudding. Look at our own pudding. What's going on there? Look at our own life. You know, God has judged me of this so many times. So many times. What do our lives say that we believe? Because what our lives say is the truth, not what our mouths say. Like, I've talked to most of us, right? And I know some good theologians in here. So thankful for you. And I know we could say the right things, but what does our life say? What does our life say to the world? right are we those hypocrites which there there's a lot of and i don't think that's a fair excuse but what do our lives say can christ be clearly seen in our lives would somebody look at your life know it's different know it's better that know it's good know it's true like even if it's different people will still know that's that's true they're doing they're doing what's true and so we need that credential of being born again and there will be proof. There will, it will not, unless, you, unless you were saved this morning in service, your life will reflect whether you've been born again or not. But what does belief look like, right? <clears throat> what, what does this belief look like if you've been born again? And so the easy answer is, come back next week, right? Um, as, we, as we finish chapter 3, we will absolutely, chapter 3, as, as we finish that out, will be much more practical what does it look like now that, now that you know you're born again? Now that you know you're in darkness, what does it actually look like to stick out? How do we respond to the darkness? It's, v- it's such a very practical end to this chapter, like this high theology, going from this discussion of Jesus and Nicodemus, right, this, this law into the new covenant, into this heavy theological judgment and salvation, into, okay, this is what it looks like. And so next week is gonna be very, very much practical. <clears throat> but today, I do want us to consider one thing, and that's the fact that our faith embraces the mission of Jesus, right? Embraces the mission of Jesus. And if you've been saved, you know better than anyone how great it is. You know how great Jesus is, right? You have a new mind, a new heart, his mind, his heart. So you love the church. You actually come to church because you have Jesus's heart, right? You're going to come to church because you love what Jesus loves. You love what God loves. And you have a heart for the lost, You know, and so right off the bat, you want to know if you're born again. What are your thoughts about the lost? Too bad for them, or let's go get them. So Jesus came to save. He came with names. If you were, if you believe, you were one of those names. Rejoice, right? Yes, sing songs. Keep coming. That's amazing. But we can't stop there, right? We got to talk to our family, talk to our friends, talk to entire Bakersfield, which is just getting bigger. We must clearly act like, like we've embraced the light, doing what is right, making Jesus the most important person in our life, our king, right? That's what a king means. All of everything in our life submits to Jesus, viewing him as our good shepherd, right? He tells us where to go. The shepherd tells people where to go. If Jesus is your shepherd, you you will be told where to go and you will know his voice. And I know Jesus is telling us that there are more sheep in Bakersfield. There are more sheep in Bakersfield that Jesus came to uh, to save, right? He came with names. He saved us. Now we have a mission. Go into Bakersfield and get the rest of them. These people, they're in darkness. And they are ready to embrace the light. I don't care what they look like. I don't care if they, if, if they look as silly as I do. Like, talk to them. They are ready. They need to hear the gospel because it will be good news to them. Because it's going to click. They, I guess, they, their name has already been chosen. You're going to share the gospel with them and there it's just going to ignite and it's going to click and they are going to be saved and it's going to be the best news they ever heard. And so here in our midst, we have people who are carrying the victory of others. Like your words are victory to somebody else who doesn't know. Doesn't even know what's happening, right? It's like English football. No idea what's happening over there. Doesn't know who's playing, doesn't know who won, doesn't know if it matters, But when they hear it, man, like they're going to know. You're going to turn them into a moth, right? And they're just going to come towards the light. But they need to know, and we need to spread that gospel. Because although we don't know who they are, we don't know who any of them are, we do know this. Jesus came into our darkness, right? He came into the darkness 2,000 years ago. He came into our darkness whenever we came to faith. And so the least we could do to worship him and obey him is go into the darkness of Bakersfield and present the light of Jesus Christ and the good news of his gospel. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.